This is God's master plan. What is his master plan? His master plan is that we are going to affect nations. And that means that there are moments where we're going to be outside of our comfort zone. And that comfort zone is the things we know. Comfort is, I know that chair is going to be there when I sit down. What is your contingency if the chair is not there? What's your game plan? So, of course, I'm going to run right through it. About maybe five minutes tops. Here we go. We land over there. When we get over there, of course, one of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to have a caravan with my face on these motorcycles that led from the airport. And I said, no. They wanted to start doing the campaign from the moment we landed. And I said, no. How many know that I'm running for, for, for senator in Dominican Republic? All right. So just want to make sure I throw that out there. When we go out there, the thought process is let's go and be like Joshua and Caleb. And let's spy the land. Let's see what it's like. Let's see where the issues are, so on and so forth. Long story short, we go, we get announced, we go to the event that's on a Saturday, the 21st of October. And in that event, they have me present myself as um, running for Senator of Barahona, which is the place of my father's birth. Now, when you ask the question, how is this all coinciding? I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. There is a connection. So one of the things they did, though, which was wonderful, that when we got to Barahona, they took us to the back roads. The first thing I did landing in Barahona was preaching the church. The minute I, let me say this again. I land in Santo Domingo. I get to Barahona. When I get to Barahona, the first thing they want me to do is preach. Get to Barahona, it's three hours away from Santo Domingo, the capital. We get there, we walk in preaching. I said, Lord, I, you're something else. Not campaigning the way people naturally campaign, but to go right to where he wanted me to focus on. And that's the heart of the people for God. So from there, we then go and start visiting pastors. People that live in the area. People whose floors are dirt. You're not hearing me. We met the folks that are in need and we spoke to them. And they understood that if we were willing to come there. Comfort, no comfort, but comfort for them. And the fact that we were able to go there and visit these people, it was the world to them. And then, of course, comes the other part where. The pastors in that region are very excited about a pastor running for senator. And that authentically seeks the Lord. Not like when you win, a, win an award and you go, you know, I want to thank God. for. No, I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about living a lifestyle that has to do with loving Christ. So one of the things we did, and I'll just I'll wrap it up with this. We took a back road because they could have taken the regular road where everything looks nice. But we took a back road to the airport in Barahona. Yes, there's an airport there, but it's not. It's international, but it doesn't get used by the people. Fully loaded. We go and we take the back road. And in the back road, we realize why people in that region are getting sick, right? 
We saw cows eating toxicity, toxic garbage, because all the neighboring provinces bring their garbage to Barahona. And they put it by the beach. Sounds strategic to me. A beach that's beautiful. Yet they put them and they lay them. How many miles was that? That was about what? 15 to 20 miles of garbage. I'm not even exaggerating. 15 to 20 miles of garbage along the coastline. And cows that produce milk are eating this. And that milk goes to the children. Toxicity. This is what we're talking about right now. People living that now. So I got a prophetic word. You know, I needed to get prophetic words. It was one after the other. But one particular one stood out for me. Because this one let me understand why it needs to be somebody not from there entirely. See, because I'm born in the Bronx. My, 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 what they call a cedula, which is proof of your citizenship, it says where I was born, Bronx. And, of course, when I got my, my proof of citizenship, somebody called me out in the office in front of everyone. They said, you're not Dominican. Loud on the speaker. I looked around and I said, yes, I am. She said, no, you're born, you're born outside. I said, yes, I'm part of the diaspora. The diaspora has a job to do. And we're coming back to fulfill our parents' dreams. That's the narrative. So what was the storyline here? When this person prophesied to me and said, this is like Moses. Like Moses, what do you mean? Moses was removed from his land. And was raised up in another land to prepare him to free that land. God is using you like Moses. He brings you out across the waters. You were trained up in the United States, Egypt. Learned the ways of Egypt. Understood how it moved. And you weren't caught up in the politics of this country. See, I told them I'm not a politician. Wrong person if you're looking for a politician. I'm not. I'm a man of God who wants to enter into politics. Big difference. I'm not a politician. I don't know how to be those politicians that are looking for under the ground or under the table. I just, I'm going to bring a truth. And what I'm seeing is what needs to be done here in this, in this particular province. The province with the most municipalities in the whole country. A total of 11. So when this prophecy was given me, I realized it was about encounter. And everything's about encounter. We can't say, Lord, I want to be a Christian first and then have an encounter. No, seek your encounter. Because if you don't seek an encounter, it's only an encounter that will transform you. Because if you aim to modify yourself to seek Christ, that modification will be based on the weather. You will be fair weather. And everything you do will be based on whatever the weather is outside. A transformed mind says no. Regardless of it raining, snowing, whether it's hot or cold, I am going to move according to his will. 
That's transformation. And so I realized this place, it requires exactly that. That word really impacted me because Moses was a murderer. Any which way you cut it, he killed somebody. And God chose him. And based on an encounter, he was able to be transformed. An encounter transformed him. Just like Paul. Paul was chasing Christians. He was pursuing and persecuting Christians. But it took a what? An encounter. My prayer is that everybody in this place would have a moment and an encounter with God that would be so transforming that it cannot be looked at as just another day. That you would have a moment that would completely get you to a place of saying, I serve a great God, a big God. So, right now, we're just waiting. Uh, I was supposed to be over there this week. I'm not yet because there's some green lights we're waiting for. Good news is that while I'm not there, I'm here. So while I'm here, glory to God, we'll be pouring into doing what God has called us to do. Understanding that this is more than just one thing. There are many things happening at the same time. And that we serve an omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient God. That he's not subject to one place. That while he's right now, we're here. They're talking about what's taking place over there in Dominican Republic right now. I just took a photo shoot. Uh, I'll show you guys some other time, but it was pretty interesting. They kept telling me to shift my body and I had to turn my body this way and my head this way. And it was weird because it felt awkward. They wanted me to look a certain way to appeal to the people. And I said, the hearts of the kings are in the hand of God. They'll transform or desire to be transformed because God has their hearts in his hands. Amen? So that is all on the Dominican Republic. Uh, there's a lot more there, but as it continues, we are now going to have 14 more weeks to go in the campaign, and the campaign is going to be pretty intense. We have some, well, we have no competition because, because we're an anomaly. Can only become, you can only have competition if you're also an anomaly. We're the only anomaly. We're the only ones that coming from outside as a diaspora coming in. And because I am a citizen of the Dominican Republic, dual citizenship, I reserve the right. Praise God. Today's teaching, put your seatbelts on, because we're about to go in on the reason for the sacrifice. We're going to talk about the atonement and resurrection. What I find to be so crazy is that everything Jesus did on the cross was literally a ceremony that was inside the tabernacle. Everything he did, and if you can understand this, you will realize why you can enter into the throne room of grace without any concern. That God set it up for us 
so that everything would fall in place and that yes there was blood used but the blood that was used that was used was deity was godly the sacrificial system in the day of atonement in the book of exodus it serves as a pivotal element in the religious and cultural framework of ancient israel so in order to understand the new testament you must understand the system of the old testament you can't deviate from that you can't say well let me just understand jesus without understanding what he fulfilled what was he trying to accomplish every single thing he did from the time that he met with his disciples to every event after that there was something he was doing to fulfill the law these practices are deeply rooted in theological concepts of atonement which is the reconciliation of humans with the divine when we talk about atonement we're talking about being able to be justified to be in the presence of God see the problem here is that there was an issue with humanity and humanity could not be in the presence of the almighty God because we didn't qualify to be there so we can't speak on our behalf if you can't get in front of the judge then what are you gonna say so there was a need for legal assistance a lawyer to speak on our behalf in the courtroom of heaven and that courtroom required every single person to be able to say I can't talk he speaks for me before Jesus died on the cross we had to speak on our own behalf can you imagine what that looks like God going up to you and saying why should I let you into my heaven and your response is well I was a good person good person by what standard you're good by the standard of earth or are you good based on the universal standard including God so of course no one what no one qualified Abraham didn't qualify Isaac didn't qualify Noah didn't qualify going backwards all of these great men Deborah didn't qualify and woman of God all of them did not qualify the qualification comes in understanding that there needed to be blood shed but here's the other thing that was needed blows my mind how Jesus had to make sure everything was detailed and he did not do it listen to this he didn't plan it it happened he didn't plan it watch this in Leviticus chapter 16 let's go there first let's go to Leviticus 16 and we're gonna go to verse uh, chapter 16 verse 21 verse 20 verse 20 look what it says here when Aaron had finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar he must present the live goat he will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness rebellion and sins of the people of Israel 
In this way, he will transfer the people's sins. Listen to this. He will transfer the people's sins onto that animal, to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. A man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. So then it made me realize if everything that Jesus did on the cross was parallel to the tabernacle, then that means that he needed these items or these things or persons. You ever wonder why Jesus on the cross had two guys with him? Why wasn't he by himself? You ever wonder why? Did he need them is the question. Did he require those two men? Well, according to this, the goat, the goat goes into the wilderness. It will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. This blew my mind because there were two men on the cross with Jesus. One of them dies in sin and the other one lives. But they had a destination. Please pay attention. You're going to get this. This will blow your mind because theology tells you that on the cross, while Jesus was there, everything was just transferred onto him. But Jesus wanted to make sure he followed the rules and regulations of Leviticus 16. So he had his two goats. Uh, his two goats were the ones who were going to, one was going to live and the other one was going to die. And the one that was going to die would have to go to a desolate place. Let's keep reading. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. When Aaron goes back into the tabernacle, he must take off the linen garments he was wearing when he entered into the most holy place. And he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice burnt offerings for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. So Jesus had to make sure that one of the two had to be the scapegoat. You ever heard of the term scapegoat? Scapegoat comes from this moment right here. The blood was placed on one of their heads. And for a long time, I thought that it was the bad guy. I thought it was the one that denied Jesus. That was the one that went to the wilderness. What I didn't realize was what happened afterwards. Where did Jesus go after he dies on the cross? What did he, what did he have to do immediately? He had to do what? Go to the desolate place. He had to go to the wilderness. You're not hearing what I'm saying. He had to go to the place that was intended for the sin to be left. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Jesus takes his blood because he's now the sacrificial lamb whose blood is placed on the head of the goat 
He goes now. What did he tell the guy who said, remember me? What did he tell him? He said, this day, Jesus tells him, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Bo, you got to walk with me real fast. I got to take you somewhere real fast. Because you're going to be the goat that takes on that which needs to be dumped off. Let me back up a little bit. Let's go to verse 21. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man, specially what? A man specially chosen for what task? To drive the goat or to go with the goat into the wilderness. That man is a man who then will return again. If you think about what was removed, the linen clothing in the resurrection was left behind folded. Because the folding of the linen represented him coming back. So the high priest in this case, which is Jesus, had to make sure that he had the scapegoat with him to carry whatever needed to be carried to go with him to the desolate place to leave everything there. Every sin, what does it say there? Every sin, wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. He had to make sure that all of it remained in hell. Or do you think that Jesus went to visit hell just because? First Peter chapter 4 makes it clear that Jesus went down first. He went down first because he had to roll with his friend. That guy that was with him, the one who said, remember me, took a journey with Jesus. And he played the role of the goat that took that with him to drop it off. Who's understanding what I'm saying? All right. Leviticus 14, it's not goats. In Leviticus 14, it's two birds. One bird, it lives and the other one dies. One gets dipped in the blood and the other one does not. Meaning that this concept of having two was already a part of the ritual of heaven approved. That he had to make sure that humanity would understand that what took place was not just for that moment, but to fulfill the past and the future. So everyone in the past who were able to study this law, this structure, and this order, I'm not going to go too deep on this. I want to go as deep as necessary. Everything that had to be fulfilled had to be fulfilled through the word. Jesus didn't come to change and alter the law. He came to fulfill it. People say, yeah, I'm under the new covenant. What does that mean you're under the new covenant? That you can sin where you want to sin and that's it? That you can do whatever you want? That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is if you make a mistake, I got you. 
It's not do the mistake and I got you. It's if you make a mistake, if you fall into the hole, I got you. The moment you repent, you turn to the blood and the power of the blood. And the blood then redeems you and allows you to get better. You can't tell me you're being redeemed and you're still doing the same thing. You can't tell me that you have found a revelation in Christ and you still think about doing the same thing. What you're trying to do is modify yourself and you're not trying to find transformation in them. The Day of Atonement, as described in Leviticus 16, is significant in the fact that its framework involves a meticulous order and structure of things that even Jesus knew he had to fulfill. You remember I told you guys a while back that those two birds were necessary? Do you remember what was the last thing he requested? He said, I'm thirsty because he knew he didn't fulfill the whole thing yet. Why? Because there was an, a branch that was called what? A hyssop branch that was needed to be fulfilled of Leviticus 14. If that was not there, the whole thing is nullified. That's legality. That's structure in heaven. And I found out today the breakdown of a courtroom is so crazy. Everything is there for a reason. That whole thing called a sidebar or, 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 or even the concept of crossing over, they use maritime law. You know what that means? That means that maritime law does not allow them to have to be subject to the law of the land. It's the law of the water. So when you cross over to the other side, you are no longer in land, you're in water, in a courtroom. The minute you open the door or open the gate, you've crossed the bar. That's why a licensed attorney has to pass the bar. They have to pass the bar because they are authorized to go along the other side of the bar and not be affected by the water and drown. Dead in the water. That's what you are if you cross over and you don't have representation. Dead in the water means without representation, you cannot be acknowledged by the judge. The judge will ask you, who represents you? And if you say, I represent myself, and you are not bar certified, you don't know the language of the king. So the father cannot hear you because he knows the son's language, and the son knows the father's language. So that's why when you're crossing over, everything has to be exact and precise. Look at how heaven and earth meet. On earth as it is in heaven, even right down to a courtroom. You need to know these truths. Even when you're in a court, I always say, to, I always say, Lord, why do I feel this way? And when I go to courtrooms, it's like a different feeling. Who, who can agree with me on that? You go to courtroom, it's like, like you lose all type of power, whatever power you think you have. You start feeling like, wow, like, 
How is it that it's, it's because it's an on earth as it is in heaven moment? You ever read Revelation chapter 4 where it gives a description of the courts in heaven? It talks about the sea. The crystal sea. That means in the courtroom of heaven, there's this area of acknowledgement of maritime law. Everything is structured so we know we're in need of a savior. Listen to me. If you're hearing this for the first time and you really want to know why Jesus, here's the reason why Jesus. Because he's the only one who can speak the language of the judge to get us out of the problem we're in. Why? Because he became one of us and justified the fact that, yes, we are a mess up. <laughs> Jesus told the father, forgive them. I just figured it out. They know not what they do. They really don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. I, I can tell you that with all the surety, pop, that you don't want to take them out because, listen, I'll represent them in the courtroom because I'll be able to speak to you and speak to them. I'll be able to speak to them and speak to you. Why is he the way, the truth, and the life? And no one comes to the Father except through him? Why? Because he's the only one who knows the heart and the character of the Father. That's why it can't be through any other religion. That religion better have an encounter. Every religion needs to have an encounter. And I'm praying. That in the future, there will be encounters. My prayer for this church is that you would have your own encounter with God. Because your encounter is going to make the difference. Then you can talk to your friends about the encounter. Those of you who are visitors here for the first time, I want you to know that you're not here by chance. The courtroom of heaven sent out a mandate for your life. It's not by chance that you're here for the first time. God sent out a mandate with your name. And it's not the name you think it is because our earthly name is not our name. It's a whole other name. And that mandate for your life, God is saying, today was the day that I'm going to introduce myself to you on another level. And if you've been going to church, he still wants to have you graduate to another level where you understand him and he understands you even more. The reason for these teachings is to increase your worship. You can't get to another stage of worship without understanding what took place on the cross. Your worship will be repetitive. It will be like playing the same song over and over again. When the word says, sing to me, eh? So if you don't have that, what new song are you going to have if your inspiration in spirit is not in spirit by God? Where's the inspiration if there's no in spirit? What does the word inspiration mean? It means that you're receiving information from a spirit. That's what inspiration means. So if you don't get that inspiration from God, it's coming from another spirit. This system, this critical system of atonement was established because we make mistakes. Not because 
God was going to justify our mistakes, but because he was going to help us be better. And so when we get to a place where the courtroom is now in order, the courtroom is now in session. All rise. Take your hat off. Respect the authority granted. Not necessarily the person, but the authority. Because there's some judges that ain't right. But when they're wearing that outfit, you show them the respect because God placed them there. Ah, you didn't hear me. Romans chapter 13. God places the people in position. So when you're in opposition, you're in opposition of God's choice. Would God choose a bad person? Yeah, he does. He chose Judas for the task at hand. He chose, uh, uh, who else? This, I mean, I can, the list continues, so many. He chose Joab to be the general for David, who was offbeat completely. He chose every single person he chose, he chose with a purpose. And their assignment, even though it was bad, it was for a good thing. The end result becomes more important than the process in between. I know the ends justify the means. The ends don't really justify the means. But for God, the ends is what he's focused on because he has a plan that's masterful. And a master plan means that the plan of God supersedes everything in between, even to the point of sacrificing his own son. You think he wanted to sacrifice Jesus? But he had to for the greater good. So the ends justified the means in that. And God will continue to give us a clearer understanding of what the courtroom of heaven is like because the courtroom of heaven is very similar to the tabernacle of God. Look what it says here. In summary, the sacrificial system in the day of atonement in Exodus provides valuable insight into the religious thought and practices of ancient Israel. They highlight the importance of ritual, ritualism and symbolism. We've gone far from that. And unfortunately, right now, I got somebody who told me, they actually argue with me, telling me that it's okay to say bad words. And you know what they told me? They told me, it's okay to say bad words because it's just words. And that same word or that's that fanatic word that's in some other country, this is what they listen to the justification. You can say that word in another country and it's okay. I said, Do you know the heart speaks? When do you say that bad word, that F word? When do you say it? When you're upset, right? So from the heart abundance, that's the word it looked for. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. The word your mind, your soul looked for was a bad word that can affect the other person. That means it's a bad word. But it's only a word. A word created the universe. And God said, I created you in my image and likeness. 
Therefore, yes, when you spit a word that is not a good word, and it's a word that harms the person, you're spitting upwards, not at them. Do you know what happens when you spit up? Unfortunately, there's no aim. And then you end up with all of that on you because you thought it was just a word. A word can change someone's life. There are people that call stuff over their children and then get mad when their children turn into that. You'll be calling them that all their lives and now they're that. You idiot, 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 idiot. Cells start going, idiot, idiot, idiot. Starts forming in your brain, idiot, idiot, idiot. And the child becomes an idiot because you spoke it into their lives. That is the legality. And so when we talk about the sacrificial lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, you know what he did? He absorbed not just the actual sin, but the consequence of every single one of them. When he died, it wasn't just a physical death, folks. He took on the pain that's spiritual and in the soul. It's called almatic. He took on soul pain. And when he died, which is the epitome for us, death is like the end all for us. Like we'll stop praying for someone once they die. And for God, it's not. That's why he made it clear. He said, he's sleeping. Man, Jesus is so into. Do you know in John chapter 11, he waited till Lazarus died? Like they told him, he's sick. He's sick. Come on. Jesus said, right, I'll be right there. And kept on this conversation over here. Then somebody else comes. He is sick. He's, he's going to die. Yeah, I, I got you. So what was that you were telling me? He was loving the one he was with. And in that moment, you know what sparked them to take that walk? When they told him, uh, Lazarus has died. Oh, okay. It's time for us to go. Now, on the journey, when, he, when they said death, he said sleep. But we are so caught up with the prison of time, we think death is end, and death is not end. Death means phase one complete. We graduate, but we don't see it as graduation. We see it as, I'm not going to see you anymore. But God says, let them graduate because you're going to see them again. Entering into that realm of graduation, that means that now the person who had limitations of self now has no limitations of self. Now that person knows themselves to the, to the fullest. There's no need to go through a process because the process is to get to know. Now they've bypassed all of that and they made it there. Children that get aborted, they don't have to go through the process. They just get there. They were material at one point, but their material led them to a place of graduation fast. Hey, they graduated. What am I saying? 
at the end of it all, Jesus made it clear. He said, I'm going to go wake him up. That's why resurrection to us sounds so crazy. But resurrection to God is simple. And even if you, listen to this, y'all got to catch this. That's why I know that when the time comes and the trumpet is blown and people come up and meet those who died. What about those who were eaten by sharks? Or those who died in, in an arena, those martyrs who were eaten up by animals. What about those that were burned to the stake? Their bodies are no longer together. Here's the miracle. Matter is matter no matter what. That means that whatever your matter is will come back together again. Whatever you utilized as your matter, even if it has to be regurgitated, even if it has to come from the bottom of the sea, it will rise up again. And the miracle of a glorified body is that the wounds for Jesus was just to show they didn't have to be there. A perfect body was a glorified body. And Jesus showed his glorified body when he was resurrected. When he came out, he said, I conquered death and the grave. And as the conqueror of the grave, my body now is perfect. And so I'm going to leave a couple of wounds just for the sake of them knowing. But those wounds didn't have to be there. Because once we are glorified, whether it's our bodies coming back together again, 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 again. We are prisoners of time. So we're subject to everything that comes to a finality. In our head, we have a beginning and an end. And our beginning is when we're born and our end is when we die. That's the natural order of thoughts. But in the spiritual, we always were and we always will be. Fix that fast, man. Fix it. <laughs> fix it fast. Here's how we fix it. Every thought process of God is an eternal neuron. It's electricity that continues. In other words, the frequency of heaven has no origin. And the frequency of heaven has no end. That means that each and every one of us were eternal or are eternal backwards and forwards. Can you measure what God thinks? No. Can you give a time frame of when God thinks? So if God thinks eternal, then every person, you know, you know what brings me satisfaction to my father? He passed away. 2006. It's his dream that I'm trying to fulfill with this whole thing. And what brings me comfort is to know that he was so active and so involved and so electrical that there's no way that energy just disappeared. I believe that his energy is still flowing in Christ. 
That was hard. I had to do my father's eulogy. I had to go in there and at the end of it all, tell everybody that my father is the ultimate evangelist. I was at the funeral. My father's body is behind me, not him, his body. And I had to, at the funeral, go, my father brought all of you here. If you thought that he wasn't a believer, I'm letting you know right now, he brought you all here to hear this message. The place was packed out because my father knew everybody. And I'm here and I'm saying, my father did more in his death than as an evangelist in life. And there are people that still remember that from back in 2006. He brought more people to the, you know how many people came up and gave their lives to the Lord on that day? And I said, y'all see death, I see life. And his voice still carries on because I exist. And my children, they exist. And their children will exist and it will continue on. The part of him that's still alive is me. Y'all didn't hear that. The part of him that's still alive today is here in front of you. It didn't die. It didn't perish. I'm still here. That came from him. I am a, I am a flow of my father. Come on, come on. You got this. And so my continuum is based on that, the eternal concept. So when it comes to resurrection power, understand there is no limit to God's resurrection power. If God wants to write this very moment to bring everybody back to life, he can. But it's a process. The truth is, if I always say to myself, if I'm up there and somebody's praying for me to come back, I'm doing like this. <laughs> You want me to come back where? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good because now every question I have, every situation, I, I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm good. And you know what? I'm going to do like the rich man wanted to do. Rich man and Lazarus. The rich man told Abraham, can you please tell my family, get somebody to go back up there. He says, it's already there. My desire is for all my family to know the Lord, to come to redemption, to come to a place of resurrection. We are in that season where everything that has to do with life is in us. Life and life in abundance. To this family, to the revolving door. You're going to be a part of people coming to life. And the best way to understand life is to experience death. There's a level of appreciation that you guys have that others may have not gone through yet. But you can help us in the process. There are lives right now. They're worried about themselves perishing. 
And God is saying, if you ask why, I put you through that so that you can bring them to life. It is the power of assignment. To be redeemed for what? Why are you redeemed if it's not to redeem? Man, I have a respect for water. You know why? Because I almost drowned. So I respect water now. Boy, did I almost drown. I almost drowned. Trying to be foolish. Trying to breathe in underwater. Yeah, because I thought I was Aquaman. You know these movies make you think you could do that. People jumping off buildings. Huh? And so I did it thinking that I can do it. And my respect for water is very high. My wife's respect for water is very high. She's not in here so I can say this without her looking at me. You know why her respect for water is high? Because her father would throw her in the water. Don't laugh in front of her. She's not going to be happy about that. And she had to learn how to move, and she would drink water. So now today, he messed me up, my, my time with her. We going to the pool? We going to the pool, and I splash water in her face. She's going, stop, stop, I'm drowning. No, it, 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 I'm telling you, she's watching you laugh. But look at, look at how respect from a situation comes. A trial in a moment, but it makes you stronger. Because even though there's a respect for water, I could tell you what, when the time comes when she decides to say, I'm going to swim, the respect for water is going to make her be a swimmer in full. I'm going to close with this. There are seven points. I'm not going to give them all today because we're pressed for time. Seven points that I need you to capture when it comes to understanding redemption and atonement. The book of Luke speaks of Jesus in the atonement. The book of Leviticus speaks of the Old Testament version. Number one, redemption and atonement is number one. Just write these down. I'm not going to give the explanation. Just write them down. Number two, victory over sin and death. Guys, Jesus didn't just die for our salvation. He died for healing. He died, yes, he died for deliverance. When he died on that cross, he dominated all that will damage us. He dominated, he got victory over everything. Number three, reconciliation with God. Number four, the king and his kingdom. Number five, repentance and forgiveness, the difference. Repentance and forgiveness. Big difference. 
Number six, universal salvation. Universal salvation. And number seven, the last one, witness and testimony. Whatever you go through in life, it's a story. Whether, whether or not you want to tell the story, that's on you. But it's a story. And that story will either edify or de-edify someone. What story are you telling? Is your story about redemption or is your story about condemnation? What happens when you encounter people? What do they get off of you? What package are you carrying and offloading when people are around you? This becomes a key in your evangelistic. Remember, everyone is supposed to evangelize. Everyone. Not just the evangelist. What are you giving? When people sit down and they meet you, what are they going to walk away talking about when they meet you? What's going to be there? What are going to be the things they say? They meet you for the first time. What's going to be that statement about you? And what that is will be the determining factor of whether or not you're bringing light or darkness into a moment. Life and life in abundance. Please stand. Chapters that we need to look at today is Leviticus 14 and Leviticus 16. John 11. Exodus 29. And Luke 23 and 24. I'm sorry. Leviticus 14, Leviticus 16. John 11. Luke 23 and 24. And Exodus 29. Read them. Take the things you learn in church home with you. Don't make church a good luck charm for the week. Make the gathering in church be so important that when you go home, you bring it and you use it and you study it. So that this can be a lifestyle instead of just a once a week gathering. By the time Sunday comes, you should be ready for the next thing. And that's what we want. We don't want it to be a club. We want to make sure that we're learning and understanding the word. So that our wineskin can become strong and solid for the wine that God gives. You're not just the flesh that you're looking at right now. You're more than that. You are the idea, concept, and electric impulse of God. Father, I want to say it so that they understand. Think of something special right now. Right now. Think of something special right now. 
That's electricity. What you thought right now was an electric impulse, which is manifested. So there's a manifestation in your thought. Now, I want you to understand that thought of, that you had right now is what God thinks of you. It's just that his spark is eternal. Who's understanding what I'm saying? If you understand, raise your hand. If you understand, raise your hand. All right. If you don't understand, what makes you special and a masterpiece of God is that God thought of you. It sounds like the same, but it isn't when you really understand it. That means right where you are, God thought of you this very moment. And he knew that you were going to stand right where you were right now. He knew the expressions of your face when I pointed you out. He saw all of that taking place. And even now, there's a moment where he's touching your heart that no one else can see. Only God can do that. And to know that when God thought of you was when he was creating the universe. You're that old. You are that old that even though there was a whole lot of manifestations, when you showed up, you showed up for everybody else for the first time, not for God. Eternal backwards and forwards. What you carry has already been thought about by God. And so when you give it, regardless of what your endeavor is, when you give it, it's that powerful because it came from God. And someone else receives life because of that. And what's a little bit for you could be a lot for the other person. Well, all I know how to do is, all I know how to do is say, God bless you. That God bless you came from the mind of God. And enter somebody else. And that's enough. I don't know how to teach the word or preach the word like you. Okay, don't worry about that. Give what you give. Because it's what God wants you to give. And that's going to be more than enough. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to continue this same series next week. Atonement and Resurrection. But we're going to talk about the actual resurrection after the cross. And we're going to talk about how that's going to be repeated again. Jesus is the first of a harvest. Jesus is the first of a harvest. That means that if you're still here, you'll rise up. But if you died, you will resurrect. I'm going to say it one more time. If you're here, you will be transformed as you go up. The word of God says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, and we who are still here will meet up with them, 
meaning that there will be those ahead of us whose bodies will be glorified. The resurrection is going to take place again. That is the hope of all believers. We will. And if you weren't resurrected, you'll be glorified. So it's another form of resurrection. Because the way our bodies are right now, it needs to be worked on before we get to that next stage. Every plan that we have for greater health, that moment will transition us completely. And you know what's going to happen? The mind of God of who we are, the thought of God of who we are, is what's going to happen in that moment. That's why people are going to get out their wheelchairs. Automatically. Automatically. God didn't, wheelchairs aren't part of the biological structure of humans. Like we were not born with a wheelchair. So everything that's earth driven or earth um, or, or thought about by man will remain. But God's ingenuity. God's ingenuity will transcend all of earth's parameters 